Everything is Obvious by Duncan J. Watts. One sentence summary. Everything is Obvious shows you that common sense isn't as reliable as you might think it is, because it often fails us in helping to make predictions, and how you can change the way you or your company make decisions with more scientific, statistically grounded methods. My favorite quote from the author is, Common sense is wonderful at making sense of the world, but not necessarily at understanding it. Duncan J. Watts Duncan J. Watts is a principal researcher at Microsoft Research, exploring social phenomena in an online world. He's most famously known for replicating an experiment Stanley Milgram did in the 1960s, called the Small World Experiment. Milgram sent 300 letters to random people in the United States, all with the goal of being forwarded to the same person in Boston. Participants received a description of who the letter was intended for and were prompted to pass it along. If they didn't know Alice, the target person, they should just hand it to someone they thought might be a step in the right direction. As it turned out, it only took six connections on average, indicating that most people in the US were connected through a maximum of six people. You might know this as six degrees of separation. Watts replicated this with 60,000 people from 166 countries and 24,000 email chains in 2003, shedding new light on the matter, but confirming the six degrees theory. Would you have thought it only takes six people to reach anyone in the world? Not exactly common sense, is it? It is exactly these kinds of phenomena Watts explores in this book. Here are three lessons from Everything is Obvious. 1. Common sense doesn't account for cognitive biases, which makes it unreliable. 2. Focus on the present and react, rather than trying to predict the future. 3. Build uncommon sense using the scientific method to make better decisions. Ready to find out why common sense is neither common nor helpful? Let's rewire your decision-making software. Everything is obvious, lesson 1. If you rely on common sense, you're not accounting for the cognitive biases at play. This answers the question, what are some flaws in our common sense thinking? I'm an organ donor. I have this little paper card in my wallet on which I've checked some boxes and signed my name. In the case of my medically confirmed death, doctors can take out my liver, lungs or heart and give them to someone else if it helps them. This little card makes me an exception, because here in Germany, only 12% of people agree to being an organ donor each year. Our Austrian neighbors, however, boast a staggering 99.9% .9 organ donor rate. How the hell is that even possible? Simple. In Austria, being an organ donor is the default. You don't have to get a card and you don't have to opt in. Only if you opt out are you not an organ donor, not the other way around. Sticking with the default is one of the biases at play in our decision-making, which make it relying on common sense unstable. Two other but similar biases are priming and anchoring. Priming means exposing you to certain stimuli to influence your later decisions. For example, if you read a long text about old people, including words like slow, frail, lethargic, stagnant and sluggish, you're likely to walk a lot slower afterwards. It's like that joke, get a friend to say milk 10 times in a row and then ask them what the cow drinks. The answer is water, by the way. 
Anchoring is similar to the default bias. When I tell you that the suggested donation to my charity is 50 bucks, you'll likely settle for an amount close to that. No matter whether you originally intended to donate just $10 or you know the average is a lot higher. Everything is obvious, lesson two. Instead of trying to predict the future, stay in the present and work with what you've got. This answers the question, what's a better way of trying to explain the world than using common sense? As you can see, predicting human behavior is really tough, given there are not just the three above, but dozens of other biases at play. Therefore, relying on common sense is a bad strategy, especially when making important decisions, for example concerning business strategy. Have you ever considered abandoning predicting altogether and just living, deciding and reacting to the present based on your own observations? Z Zara has. The Spanish clothing company used an approach called measure and react. They look at what their customers are already wearing, create new styles based on that, and then test small samples of new items in various stores to get feedback. This allows them to quickly see what works and what doesn't, after which they only have to remove the shelf warmers and produce more of the best sellers. The next best source of feedback after customers is whoever else will be affected by your changes. For example, if you want to revamp your hiring process, guess who you should ask? The people who work in HR. They already know what's working and what isn't and can tell you what needs to be changed. This is called local knowledge and you should use it whenever you can get your hands on some. Everything is obvious, lesson three. Make better decisions by building uncommon sense, which relies on the scientific method. This answers the question, what is a scientific method and how can it help us make better decisions? If the two methods above kind of reminded you of lab experiments, then you're on the right track. Both of them rely on something called the scientific method, in which you create a hypothesis, for example, this blue scarf will sell well, then collect data to back up or disprove that hypothesis, track sales for a month in November, for example, and then adjust your hypothesis or draw general conclusions. For example, blue scarves sell well in November. Especially when people are involved, your common sense will always tell you that you know the answer. Most of the time, your common sense is wrong. This scientific approach goes against the grain. It's very much uncommon sense but it'll get you far better results in the long run. And thanks to the internet, you now have access to more data than ever. Companies like Facebook, Palantir or Google provide vast amounts of it to anyone. All you have to do is use it. Here's what I learned from Everything is Obvious by Duncan J. Watts. This is, as you noted, one, uh, one book about the, the psychology of decision making. There are many, many books on this psychological topic out there. Uh, and the paradox of choice. Um, the, the one thing, uh, although that's not necessarily about, well, essentialism This is about decision making in a way. Uh, lots and lots of books uh, tackle this topic in one way or the other. Um, but the key component as uh, as you may have noticed, is the middle part where it's about the biases, right? Sort of, we all have the ability to make decisions. We all make decisions every single day. It's just that we need to find out what is inhibiting our ability to do that better 
and then remove those inhibitions. That's really one way you can think of making better decisions, right? There's, there's the, uh, uh, the process works in a certain way by default. And for most people, that is gut decisions, right? Like they act on what they feel, on this stuff like common sense, what has been done before, what's proven, what's, what's uh, been passed down from generation to generation. Um, and that's their default decision-making mode, right? And the way to improve that is to remove the biases, the flaws that are in that mode, rather than making, I don't know, like some weird changes or, for example, having a shotgun approach where you just to say one, two, three, you it's going to be and you just pick one thing. That's not how, how it works, right? You have to remove these, these flaws, these biases. So I want to spend a little more time talking about a couple other biases which you may, may have heard of or not. I recently wrote a post called 10 Mental Biases and How to Fight Them. Uh, I think it's some of my better work. It's on Medium. And uh, in that post, I went through thinking my way through which biases am I trying to fire, fight the hardest and the most often. And then I just wrote down the list and explained those and sort of what you can do, I think, to, to deal with those. So I want to, I don't know, maybe read some experts, maybe just talk a little bit about them. I'm just going to pick two or three and, and share those with you. So the first one I want to talk about is called the backfire effect. The backfire effect is from the belief category. It's, it's biases we have about our own beliefs. You may have heard of confirmation bias, which is our tendency to look for information that confirms our previously established opinions, right? So let's say you think blue scarves are dumb or ugly. Blue scarves are ugly. That's your opinion. So now when you go at a, go to a store and they have blue scarves, you're going to pick out the ones that are in fact ugly, right? That, that, that fit this description of yours. Rather than saying, seeing maybe one blue scarf that's beautiful and, and saying hmm, maybe they're not so ugly after all or maybe there are beautiful uh, blue scarves, you'll probably uh, pick those out that everyone or most people will agree are ugly and say, look, I told you blue scarves are ugly. That's confirmation bias. The backfire effect takes that one step further. It says that when you hear disconfirming evidence to our to your previous belief, you actually end up reaffirming that sort of false belief. So basically, this is what happens on the internet all the time. When, let's say, there was a case where I think The Tonight Show was accused of being sexist and having bad standards for women, right? Discriminating against women. So there was a post online, it blew up, got hundreds of thousands of views, and then it turned out that was completely wrong, and the women of the show actually wrote a letter saying, that's not true, we're being treated nicely here, that's okay. So that was the correction, right? The correction went up, it got, first of all, it got much less views, so not as many people saw it, and secondly, um, the people that did see it probably thought, oh my god, that's crap, they probably made up that letter, um, damn, that show is so sexist. So this is a problem, right? And that's something I'm trying to fight hard. When you see opposing evidence to a theory or, a, or, a, or an opinion you hold, don't discredit it. Don't and really think about if you think, hmm, eh, eh, that's, probably, that's probably not right. That doesn't apply to me, right? It's probably like, and you feel yourself going back to your initial opinion. Be very, very careful because that might be the backfire effect at play. Okay, one more. I'm going down the list here. I think... I'm trying to think hard about which one is the most um, important, actually. I think, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with this one. So uh, this one is called the spotlight effect, and it's from your memory. 
It's uh, it's huge. We all have it. So think back to high school. When you were in high school, what was the most important thing? Well, probably what everyone else thought of you, right? So, I mean, image is huge. It's all PR. It's all connections and society and who does what with whom. I mean, that's high school for most people. Um so it's all about, and, and you think, that's why you think of all your decisions all the time in the context of how is that going to affect my reputation, what's going to happen, what are people going to think of me. And the problem is we keep that thinking and we drag it out right out of high school into adulthood with us. And this is called the spotlight effect because in reality, nobody thinks about you all that much. So we have an internal spotlight turned on to us and that's the way we walk around, right? We think we're in the spotlight all the time and we think our every move is being watched by everyone. But the truth is, everyone else is thinking the same thing. So they're focused on themselves too, right? Because we are the center of our own universe. It's hard to imagine life without us because, well, that's all our life is. So it's really hard to forget that nobody cares. <laughs> so really, most people are busy optimizing their own social media prof profile while you're worried about what you're posting because everyone's going to see it. And in reality, not many people care and not not many people actually see everything you do, let alone care enough. So you probably don't remember all the embarrassing stuff your friend Tom did, right? You might remember one or two things, just like, but you might remember a lot of your own. And it's the same for other people, right? So that's really liberating, okay? So you don't have to think you're walking around with this constant spotlight turned on you all the time. That's not true. Um, and when you realize this, you this will liberate you in your decisions, right? You'll be much freer to make more bold decisions and decide in a way that if you happen to get embarrassed, you won't care as much because you know it's not that big of a deal. Okay, so, I mean, there's literally hundreds of biases. I could talk about these for hours. Maybe I should do a, a session on that someday. Um, but I don't want to dra drag along for too long. Uh, if you want to learn more about them, you can look for it on medium i'm probably going to add this on the on my writations page too at nicholasgilke.com slash writations 10 mental biases and how to fight them um if you want to learn more about those go check that out and i thank you for listening and see you on the next summary